Getting lost in the music is great, except if you're driving. Nissan's available Intelligent Safety Shield technologies could help you avoid bad drivers. Hurry into your local Nissan store and get great offers during the Safety Today event. Or shop ChooseNissan.com today. Now, back to the music. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach, promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a wise Widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. It comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. You know, in this world that we live in, especially the Western world, everything is about me, 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 me. I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. And um, it breeds a narcissistic flavor in the air. And how does that affect the children that we raise, the leaders that will lead tomorrow? And I say that with tongue in cheek in the climate in America that we are experiencing now. So today we're talking about polishing the reflection in the mirror, a hard look at narcissism in the age of me, myself, and I. And my first guest is Michelle Borba. She is an internationally renowned educational psychologist, an expert in parenting, bullying, and character development. She's an award-winning author of 22 books and one of the foremost authorities on childhood development in America. She's a regular contributor on NBC, appears regularly as well on the Today Show, and has been featured as an expert on Dateline, The View, Dr. Phil, NBC Nightly News, Fox and Friends, Dr. Oz, and The Early Show. And I am celebrating with her, and I really do mean celebrating, her latest book, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, Lisa, it is absolutely an honor. This is the passion of my life, and I just love how you described authentic happiness because I am right there with you. 
Yeah, uh, and people don't really understand that. Although more and more, I think that this is this is a subject matter that is open for discussion. And when we talk about that sort of authentic um, contentment with life, people are not perceiving it as you know selfish. That it really is in pursuit of the greater good. Yes, and I that's why empathy plays such an enormous part of all of this, and it's exactly why I wrote the book on selfie. I'm I'm seeing something that is extremely disturbing that we, as a group of adults, teachers, parents, coaches, we better get a handle on it. Uh, and that's universities have been tracking incoming college freshmen over the last 30 years. What they've been doing is looking at giving kids, and we're talking regardless of zip codes, And regardless of gender, regardless of Ivy League or community college, the same little narcissism personality inventories. And around the year 2000, something major happened as a shift in what's going on with our kids. And that is a 40% drop in empathy. That's the benchmark of happiness and humanity. And a 58% rise in narcissism. And when narcissism goes up and empathy goes down, racism goes up, bullying goes up, date rate goes up, all those things that we just abhor for our children's world. And that's exactly what's happening. And that's why Unselfie is just looking at what do we do to turn this thing around? What are the habits we really need to instill on our kids? And how do we deal the, just dial it down so we begin to realize that empathy is not soft, but essential for life? I couldn't agree more. I want to read um, a review from Publishers Weekly that I just think is beautiful. This is about your book on selfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. Publishers Weekly, in a starred review, wrote, With narcissism and self-absorption on the rise in our digital age, she argues empathy is in danger. Her thought-provoking and practical book may very well tip over the parenting priority apple cart, and rightly so. And I, I, this really has its finger on the pulse. You know, I, I shared with you before we began our, our, our talk that I'm the mother of two late teenagers. And so I do see everything that you are describing in action. And I ask you, what was the turning point in 2000? Is it Facebook? Uh, a number of things. That was my first quest when I started researching on selfie. What happened in the year 2000? And I discovered it was a combination of toxic elements kind of in the culture that were taking it down. First, social media was huge. That's when our, our children became more and more plugged in. What does that have to do? The more you face a screen, the less you face a human face. And the gateway to empathy is actually emotional literacy. Do you be able to go, daddy looks sad and mommy looks frustrated and that little girl over there looks like she could use a hug. That's what activates your heart or your, your compassion. That began to be the average child is now plugged in seven and a half hours a day. In addition, play was just dramatically reduced from our kids' lives. Play is the automatic playground for empathy. Play is just unstructured time in a sandbox where it's my turn and it's your turn. Kids learn to share. That's the first critical social skill anyway. The reality TV took over. We began run by the Kardashian family. And what (laughs) happened is models went down. But when you look at really, and I studied altruistic individuals, almost every one of them said, you know, how did you become altruistic? Well, I looked at my dad. Well, I looked at my mom. The models were there. Today's kids want to be rich and famous. Just 20 years ago, they wanted to be a helper, a doctor, a lawyer, a president. 
that's switching. Our discipline became more and more quick fixed. It was tip, time out. Good that you're giving them the time out. But Martin Hoffman from NYU, just the authority of authorities on empathy says the key is to have the child come back and sit down and say, you as a parent, I'm disappointed in that behavior. I expect you to be a caring person. So what are you going to do differently next time? How would you feel if that happened to you? Lisa, it's a lot of things, which is why we need to really look at what science says does cultivate empathy, because the most important thing we need to keep in mind is empathy can be cultivated. Our children are hardwired for goodness, but unless we nurture it, it lies dormant. And I fear a lot of kids are in sleep mode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And, 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 and you know, I, I work with a lot of young adults in my practice, and I also see this in these um, youngsters in their in their early to mid-20s, too. And this part of it is brain development. You know, you've got um, people whose brains aren't fully developed, where they're still acquiring executive functioning skills, they're still acquiring discernment and morality. And I think as parents and mentors, it's our job to help them get there in a uh, unselfish way. Yeah, because first of all, we do know that the world is a we world, not a me world. But second of all, we may have missed out on some of the science or some of those quick fix newspaper articles aren't telling us first, we do make a difference. We can cultivate empathy. And we need to also keep in mind that empathy alone isn't enough in order to activate moral courage. And that's why the other thing I did with Unselfie is come up with a list of Here's the nine habits that we can instill in our children. They're really easy. They don't cost a dime. They're not a program. But if we nurture those, not only will all children have empathy, they're actually going to be happier and more successful human beings. Can you share them or are some of them? I certainly can. And, and it was fascinating because actually these, these habits came with the most incredible question I've ever been asked in my life. It was a U.S. Air Force cadet who stood up and asked me, Dr. Borba, I know the moral ozone is going down, but I'm going to be going in in harm's way and I want to be leading with integrity. So can you please tell me the habits of integrity or empathy so I can stay true to myself? And I looked at him and he said, you know, like what did Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela do to be empathetic? And I said, nobody has ever asked such a profound question. So after reading 75 memoirs of Nobel Peace Prize winners, here's the Number one is emotional literacy. We need to start talking feelings and a lot sooner with our kids because you have to be able to read the emotions off a face, a body language, a voice tone in order to be empathetic. Number two is moral identity. We always talk about grit and how important that is, but new research says that really empathetic people have a caring mindset. They also have just just created those that image about themselves as I am a caring person or I am socially responsible. That develops from a parent, and I'll give you some ideas on how to do that one. Third is perspective taking, the ability to feel for another human being. How would I feel if that happened to me? What do I need or what does she need in order to feel better? That's what the business world says is one of the top employability factors and we can nurture that one. Then comes collaboration to be able to get along with another person, self-regulation. You got to be able to manage your feelings in order to, to be able to keep the stress down and empathy open. We also know that moral courage is critical. We can teach that because you have to have the courage to step in and help others. We're finally leading up with altruistic leadership, and that's the bottom line of what we want, a child who can go out there and want to make a difference in the world. So that's the little nutshell of the framework of Unselfie. 
the bottom line is all of those are teachable, really easy skills, and there's over 300 ideas and ways to do it in Unselfie. And, and I want to mention that as we help shepherd our children to this place, this idealistic place, that we also increase those skills within ourselves. When we are mindful that we are doing this, you know, in service to our kids, in service yeah. to the community, we're, we are expanding that empathy gland within us. Absolutely. In fact, if you if you were to ask me, okay, Michelle, so what's the first way to start raising an empathic child? I'd say turn around and be empathic yourself. Model it. If your child had only your behavior to watch, what would he have caught today? And boy, there's a ripple of guilt in parents alone. What are you emphasizing when your child comes barreling home? So often we the first question we ask is what you get. It's also, hey, what caring thing did you do? So it's really if you do these strategies with your child. There's an incredible, incredible advantage, and that is you also become more empathetic, empathetic your chi- yourself. Well, emo- emotions are, they're contagious, right? Our, our yeah. uh, emotional world is something that affects not only ourselves, obviously, but the people around us. So if we are making a commitment to be more empathic, to be more optimistic, to be more caring, to be more present, that will affect our children and it will and when our yes. children do it it affects their friends and so on and so on yes uh, i think the, the other thing i do that isn't just the sound of the all-new 2016 mercedes-benz glc being put through its paces it's the sound of innovation the innovation behind one of the most advanced suvs on the road today with multiple driving modes a suite of intelligent drive systems and a technology-filled cabin that sets new standards in modern luxury This is what innovation sounds like. Now, discover what it feels like in a 2016 Mercedes-Benz GLC. Some equipment described as optional. And when I was writing on Selfie, that was probably the most just incredibly wonderful experience, is that I interviewed over 500 children, and I I toured the world, going in out of schools that seemed to be doing the job right. And one of the things I saw is that schools who clearly were less, uh, had done something brilliant in terms of reducing bullying, had uh, mobilized the compassion and kindness of students. 85% of the kids aren't bullies or victims, they're, they're bystanders. And what those students were doing was actually practicing kindness and switching the norm. So it was cool to be kind, not cool to be cruel. Yeah. And because they were daily doing simple little kind deeds, it impacted their mindset impacted the whole culture and it was so easy didn't cost a dime but they dramatically changed an entire school as a result of students who said enough is enough we're going to be kind we're going to need to go to a break but before we do i want to talk about one of my favorite passions and that is good food deliciously home-cooked food that is lovingly prepared and eaten with those i love makes me seriously happy and i want to give a whole hearted five-star platinum rating and huge shout out of thanks to today's show sponsor HelloFresh for making my week a more joyful, convenient, and easy culinary experience. This week, my family feasted on pan-roasted chicken with Dijon mushroom sauce and Israeli couscous, spicy pork and kale soup with udon noodles, ginger, and Thai chili, and finally, steak and Brussels sprout stir-fry with carrot ginger and jasmine rice. I kid you not, this was amazing. In fact, my 17-year-old son cooked one of the meals and is now a converted chef thanks to HelloFresh. 
HelloFresh delivers convenient meal kits right to your front door that are easy to prepare, fun to cook, and packed with balanced nutrition and delicious flavor that can turn an ordinary meal into a relaxing dining experience. HelloFresh sources the finest ingredients packaged in exact quantities that allow you to create a feast in under 30 minutes. All of this happiness is delivered right to your front door in a special insulated box that is free. HelloFresh has generously gifted our listeners a special promotion. I really recommend that you visit HelloFresh.com to place your order and receive a $35 discount off your first week of deliveries. Be sure to visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code HAPPINESS at checkout when you subscribe. Create a little more joy in your life over at HelloFresh.com using the promo code HAPPINESS at checkout. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you, if you are a parent or a grandparent, to download and share this podcast. Why? It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we're talking about narcissism. You know, we're talking about raising healthy children to be emotionally fit, to go out into the world to make a difference in a selfie culture. And my guest today, right now, is Dr. Michelle Borba. She is the author of the fabulous book, and I really want to say fabulous, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. So, Michelle, Dr. Borba, um, 
enthusiastic, unselfish, uh, beautiful one. <laughs> Let's talk oh. about. <laughs> talk to you daily girl oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm good for that you can oh, good let let's talk about you mentioned something in the previous segment about about a wee world and I my son plays water polo and there is a uh, billboard at the pool that I look at every time I go to a game or a practice and it says it's about we not about me oh and, oh Oh, clone it and put it on a bumper sticker. Right? That's wonderful because we've done the absolute opposite. We've been raising our children and we do we do it because we love them. And we've been told that that's the way we're supposed to raise them by telling them they're special all day long. And actually, Ohio State University has also said that the more we praise like that, actually, the more we increase narcissism. Does that mean we stop praising our children? No, of course not. They need to have feedback. But we need to praise them for, oh, I loved how you worked together. I love how you supported that friend. I love what, you know, that you were a helper. When we start giving those, those kinds of accolades to our children when they're deserved and earned, what actually begins to happen is children begin to see themselves as we, they begin to reach out more towards others. And what we do need is a child who moves from I, me, my to we, us, our. And that's a slow, slow, steady concept, but certainly a coach your son's coach is one of the ways to do that, and that is one who doesn't do the win at any cost, but also supports kids at an early age, that you encourage others. We work together, that winning when we are together and collaborate is all about it, and I think that's one of the most brilliant things I, I saw when I was researching on Selfie, where schools and classrooms and parents who really were helping children go from me to we, and there's a lot of ways to do it. Let's talk a little bit about some skills or ways, tools that we can help our children improve or plump their empathy glands. I love using the word empathy gland, words empathy gland, you know. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Uh, well, you know, and I think the first thing is we can start, Lisa, at age two. And we start by first, when we talk to our children, we simply make one little rule, and it's called the eye color rule. Always look at the color of the talker's eyes. When you do that, you model it to your child. It's the first skill to good listening anyway. But what will happen is your child will be start gazing at the facial expressions of the other person. But there are other things that it does is wonderful. It actually helps your child learn strong body language that he's going to use later on when he gets to the habit number eight of moral courage. He needs to step in and help others. He needs to look assertive. When you hold your head up, your entire body looks stronger. Start doing listening skills far more because when you do listening, you help your child learn to listen non-judgmentally. Where's the other person coming from? That's great. You can do just around the family meal. Um, Listen to where your brother's saying, what's the most important thing he said? What's one thing he said? Now listen to his feelings. Where's he coming from? Start talking feelings far more so your child can begin to recognize daddy looks sad or mommy looks frustrated, using the words for it so he'll reach out more. And also stretch your child so he gets out of his comfort zone. We empathize with those more like us. What we want to do, says Martin Hoffman, is help our children learn to empathize also with them, so them become us. How you do that? You give your children opportunities and real experience to expose them to differences, girls and boys and other races, other cultures. You can do that virtually, but you can also do that with travel. You can do that with children's literature. 
By the way, children's books are now one of the most powerful ways proven from York University to not only help your children be smarter, but also nicer. Because emotionally charged literature, especially those emotionally charged books with good diversity in them, help your children empathize more as well. Well, I did, I did not know that, but it makes perfect sense. Talk about um, a little bit about why time out and, and timers and some of these other external um, regulators may not be as successful as we had hoped. Well, first of all, Lisa, thanks for asking that because it's actually proven. What I did when I, uh, in researching on selfie is go through all different kinds of discipline of what scientists say works to help our children not only be more empathetic, but also behave better. And the biggest thing it seems to be is that we first, in any kind of our discipline, which we must do, discipline is a learning tool, be calm ourselves and dignify the child when we discipline because the child is going to be mirroring us no matter what. Time out and all of those are quick fixes, but all of them say that the best always is when at the end of it, the the three minutes, and it's always one minute per age of the child, according to the best science at Yale, is come on back. Now let's calmly sit down and say, so what you do? So what are you going to do next time? Not only does that help your child recognize your values, And you can say, you know, we're a caring family. We always respect one another. But the other thing the child begins to learn is, so what do you expect? And how wonderful, says Martin Hoffman, is to always use the I'm disappointed comment. We think, oh, my gosh, we're going to be robbing the kid's self-esteem. No, you're not. Because an ill-mannered child is going to have very low self-esteem because he's not going to get too many birthday party invitations. But if you just turn around and say I'm disappointed because – I know you're a caring person, so let's rewind that or let's talk that about again. Let's figure out what you could do differently next time. And you always ask the feels plus needs question. How would you feel if that happened to you? What would you need? Okay, now let's look at what does your friend feel? What does your friend need? Okay, what you're going to do to make it feel better? Now what you're doing is incredible. You're increasing conscience. You're increasing your values. You're helping your child realize your expectations. You're helping your child be a better behaved child. And according to the research, you're also helping your child be more empathetic. There are step-by-step guidelines of what's the best way to discipline in Chapter 4. I want to go back to the disappointment because this is a technique that I have used with my own kids. And one could think that it would be compromising self-esteem, which you mentioned that it does not. And it's and we're talking about disappointment, not as um, shaming. We're talking about using you no. know, your, your actions, your behavior, your conduct. What you did was disappointing. I love you. Yes, and I think that's a really important point. Shame reduces empathy. Yeah. A little dose of guilt actually is good for a child, says Martin Hoffman. But the key is you aim at the child's behavior, not at them. You know, hitting or or a being saying that mean comment, that's aiming at the behavior, was hurtful. Or that's what's against our family values. Or that's not who you are because I see you as a caring person. So let's redo that again. Is enormously instructive to a child because... One of the things that we fail to recognize is that our children desperately want our approval. 
first, use it to your advantage. Let them know when you are disappointed because you expect better and you know that the kind of person that they really are. And as a result, what happens is unbelievable that even starting at age two, uh, Nancy Eisenberg is just an absolute guru of gurus of University of Arizona, tracked us when we were just dealing with our toddlers through video cameras and discovered that parents who use that technique with toddlers got better behaved kids because they instantly began to realize what mommy wanted. And those children began to show more sharing, caring, comforting, pro-social kind of behaviors. Same thing goes with teens. This is well-proven stuff because when I was researching on selfie, Lisa, I wanted to only find the best science so we can apply it. Simple stuff, but the best science that we can apply it to raise good people. Yep. And I love what you just said about raising good people, that it's not about having perfect kids. It's about raising children that know how to be hardy, they know how to be altruistic, they know how to give, and I dare say learn how to receive gracefully. Oh, all of those. Gratitude is also a big piece of this. But here's a piece that I think when you asked me a while back on what's causing this shift of why empathy is dipping and narcissism is rising... I think the other thing, Lisa, is frankly, we have put empathy low on our priority parenting agenda list. We have become so narrow in our view of success that it's a GPA or it's an IQ, and we've become such a test-driven society that as a result, the messages to our children about how important it is to be kind, how important it is to be caring, what we expect and what we model are really lying dormant, and that's a huge tragedy. Because in the end, when our children graduate and go on into the real world, yes, we want them to be smart, but we also hopefully want them to be nice, kind-hearted people who are resilient, who can bounce back, and are, as a result, happier because they have the skills in order to cope with life. Dr. Michelle Borba, will you come back and see us again? Because I feel like we've only scratched the tip of the iceberg here. Yeah. I yes. would absolutely love to there. This just goes forever, Lisa. Yes, indeed. I, I think the bottom line is we can cultivate this. We can make a difference in nurturing empathy because it all can be turned around. This tragedy that's happening is just creating what I call an unselfie revolution. Let's flip it and let's start collectively working together to raise good kids. Indeed. I'm, I'm signed on. I want to help you do that because I look at the news, for example, today, what we're going through in, in America and looking at the characters that um, are running for president. And I think, oh, geez, well, this is this is the result of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you know, we I think in, the other thing we need to do is key in mind that children are watching. They are yes. tuning in. And if there's any final little moment of what we should be doing. Elevating experiences elevate empathy. Elevating news elevates empathy. Start cutting out good news reports that are always on the back page of a newspaper and start reading those to kids so they begin to see the world as a good place about that little girl that helped save that kitty cat that was up in that tree or that child that's starting that lemonade stand. What happens is kids want to do the copycat effect and they begin to see, I can do that too. Let's make difference makers so kids who realize they can change the world. 
Yes. Cheers to Difference Makers. To learn more about Dr. Michelle Borba and her latest book, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World, please visit michelleborba.com. On Facebook, that page is Michelle Borba. And on Twitter, the handle is at Michelle Borba with the fabulous hashtag of Unselfie. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about raising unselfish, confident, self-regulated, and emotionally intelligent children. My next guest is Dr. Shauna Shapiro. Ashana is a professor at Santa Clara University, a clinical psychologist, and an internationally recognized expert in mindfulness. She's also the author of Mindful Discipline, a loving approach to setting limits and raising an emotionally intelligent child. Dr. Shapiro is a recipient of the American Council of Learned Societies Teaching Award, acknowledging her outstanding contributions to education and a fellow of the Mind and Life Institute, co-founded by the Dalai Lama. Dr. Shapiro lectures and leads mindfulness programs internationally and has been invited to present for the King of Thailand, the Danish government, and the World Council for Psychotherapy, Beijing, China. Dr. Shapiro serves on the advisory board of how do I pronounce this, Shauna? Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> a leader in conscious business and has brought mindfulness to pioneering companies, including Genentech, Cisco System, and Google. She has published more than 150 articles and book chapter, chapters and has co-authored um, critically acclaimed books, including The Art and Science of Mindfulness, and Mindful Discipline. Dr. Shapiro's work has been featured in Wired Magazine, USA Today, The Huffington Post, Yoga Journal, and The American Psychologist. Wow, what a resume and welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really delighted to be here. Well, we are delighted to having yeah, to have you here. Let's talk about mindfulness in parenting because some people are of the school of thought, you know, kids, they don't need mindfulness. They need discipline. They need, they need structure. How do we help our kids to be thoughtful, confident, and emotionally fit 
uh, citizens of the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an important question, and I actually wouldn't put mindfulness and discipline at odds. Um, so I think mindfulness can have within it structure and boundaries and discipline. And I think that was really the intention of our book is to say that often people think of mindfulness as just this very soft concept and, you know, very permissive parenting. And, and what we tried to do was really, um, clarify and, and re, um, we understand what the word discipline means and what the word mindfulness means. So I want to kind of step back and start there. Um, the word discipline often has a negative connotation in our culture, and many people think it's overly harsh and antiquated, but the root of the word discipline is really about teaching and learning. And for me in the past you know, 20 years of studying and research mindfulness, I've found that it's one of the most effective ways of teaching and learning. And so I want to explain to you a little bit why. First of all, mindfulness, the the definition is to simply be present in a kind, open, curious way with whatever is happening. So even right now, you and I can be practicing mindfulness as we listen and as we speak. So mindfulness has these three elements. Intention, which is simply knowing why you're doing what you're doing, what's important to you your attention, which is present moment awareness, and then your attitude, which is how you pay attention with kindness, with openness, with curiosity. And so mindfulness is kind of the awareness that arises when I'm intentionally paying attention in this kind way. And what's interesting, it sounds pretty simple, right? Just be present in a kind way, but it's actually quite challenging. In fact, I'm sure the listeners right now have noticed that their minds have wandered off. You know, you and I have been speaking for maybe three minutes, but the mind wanders. And so part of mindfulness is learning how to train the mind to be here. Research from Harvard shows the mind wanders approximately 50% of the time. So that's about half of our life that we're missing, that we're not here, <laughs> right? And if you think about it in terms of parenting, um, we're, we're missing a lot of the moments with our children. And so I think the first step is really just to wake up, just to become more present and more here, which is where we already are. You know, I I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, the word discipline um, as a parent comes to mind um, something that is very structured and very, very linear. And I think for me, and this is really um, semantics of words, that the practice, you know, when I look at discipline more of a, as a practice, which mindfulness mm. to me is a practice, yes, um, it is a little bit more friendly. And that, and that's why I sort of challenged the word discipline in the beginning. And by the way, as a parent, I, I know full well that discipline sometimes is in order. You know, that that right. is very aware and mindful to discipline a child that needs it. But this concept of being friendly and gentle with this practice of how we train our minds, I think is something that you you, you do in your research. Exactly. And I think when we see discipline, again, as a way to teach and as a way to learn, it really changes the the feel of the word. So the other thing that I was going to explain is how mindfulness is helpful in terms of teaching and learning, which is how I view disciplining is that when, when you know, traditionally we think of discipline, we think of kind of this harsh, maybe even judgmental or shaming, you know, interaction between parent and child. 
And what we've learned is that when children or any of us, adults as well, when we feel shame, the centers of the brain that have to do with learning and growth shut down. So if I'm shamed or I'm afraid or, you know, I'm being told in school or by my parents that I'm doing something really wrong and they're making me feel badly about it, it actually prevents me from learning and changing my behavior because I shut it down. The, the, what's interesting is the alternative is this kind attention that we've been talking about. It actually releases dopamine in our system and it turns on all the learning centers of the brain. So mm. true and lasting change and transformation requires kind attention. Yeah. And basically kind attention is the shorthand definition of mindfulness, right? Because I talked about your attention and then how you pay attention, your attitude. And so this kind attention is mindfulness. And if we can learn to practice mindfulness as parents in our own lives, and then we can start to bring it and practice it with our children. And I really liked how you said that discipline isn't this one-time structured, like this is what you do. It's this dynamic, evolving um, relationship to the present moment to see what is most skillful in this moment. Yeah, and this is very, very powerful for kids to learn at a young age. Those of us who practice mindfulness and meditation know the challenges that we have um, keeping keeping on point. And we, and I, I mean, I know for myself, and I'm I'm guessing you as well that you don't have the expectation of always being fully present. You just <laughs> you just you you do you do and be, and sometimes we're more successful than others at the at this whole process of just learning to be with ourselves, which I think we're very frightened of, a lot of us. Absolutely. And I think it's what you're saying is really important is that this is not about being perfect. This is not about doing it right all the time. Certainly none of us are present every single moment. And certainly none of us are perfectly kind and equanimous in every moment. And so the other piece of mindfulness and mindful discipline is really, um, how you approach mistakes, how you approach when you didn't do it perfectly and, and the importance of repair. And again, this is where self-compassion and kindness are so essential because if we shame ourselves, if we beat ourselves up for not doing it perfectly with our children, it doesn't help us learn. All it does is you know, cost us energy and take us away from our children even more. And so part of mindfulness is learning how to see clearly, see honestly what's happening, admit our mistakes, but then not shame ourselves for them, use our energy to actually repair and make change. What are some suggested uh, vocabulary words to introduce when working with children to introduce them to mindfulness? Because, you know, we have to probably approach this a little bit differently than you would an adult, let's say. Right, right. I think the most important thing with children and mindfulness is to make it natural and fun and kind of use their everyday moments in their everyday life to explore it as opposed to having it be this structured thing that we're imposing upon them. So, you know, having them do actual experiential practices of mindfulness is one way to to help just introduce it in a in a very gentle way. There's a lot of wonderful programs. I'm thinking of Susan Kaiser Greenland, who does amazing work with children and teens uh, down at UCLA, 
And there's a lot of books out there specifically teaching um, practices for children. Our book, Mindful Discipline, is really for parents to kind of help um, guide parents in, in best practices for them and ways to become more mindful and then specific ways to create boundaries and structure with their children. Ah, so really what we're talking about is initiating the practice within the adult. The adult becomes more conversant and more able and then leads through his or her own action. Got it. I I, I do understand what you're saying. Now, we're going to need to go to a break in a minute. Um, But before I do, I wanted to um, just ask you uh, uh, to, to describe the book that you've just written, Mindful Discipline, A Loving Approach to Setting Limits and Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. Um, This is really about looking in the mirror first, no? Exactly, exactly. One of the books, you know, that we were both, my my co-author, who's a pediatrician, uh, Dr. Chris White, one of the books we were both inspired by is a book by Dan Siegel called Parenting from the Inside Out, where we really need to start with ourselves because what we model to our children, how we live, the the emotional energy that we bring to them is going to impact them more than anything else. So if we just learn the perfect words and practices, you know, and tie it up in this golden bowl, bow, it's, it, it doesn't have the same impact. And so we really start with ourselves. And that requires a great deal of kindness and presence and compassion. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a break. And before we go there, I want to give our listeners some information how to reach out and connect with you. Dr. Shauna Shapiro can be found at drshaunashapiro.org. On Facebook, the page is Mindful Discipline Book. Once again, the book is called Mindful Discipline, A Loving Approach to Setting Limits and Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. And Shauna, we recently had Dr. Dan Siegel on the show. He's been with us uh, before. And he is just, uh, he is wonderful. He really is a very special man. Well, he he and I are teaching another workshop together um, next summer. We teach together once a year um, at Esalen Institute. So if anyone wants to join, it'll be next next August. Oh, wow. I may have to jump on up there. I, <laughs> I love Esalen. Here we are giving a plug for Esalen, but it is, it is magical. It is it's truly magical. magical. Yes. Yeah. We are going to take a break and the okay. tooth are coming any second. And when we come back, we can talk about the five essential elements of mindful discipline with Dr. Shauna Shapiro. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we are talking about raising unselfish, confident, self-regulated, and emotionally intelligent children. Specifically, now we're talking about uh, using mindfulness practices as a parent to better reach our kids to be better examples to our children. And I'm talking with Dr. Shauna Shapiro. She is the author of Mindful Discipline, a loving approach to setting limits and raising an emotionally intelligent child. So Shauna, prior to the break, we we agreed we were going to get into the five essential elements of mindful discipline. And I would love for you to share with our audience what, what those are. I mean, I know that unconditional love is primary numero uno. Talk a little bit about really what that means. Yeah, so unconditional love is is the foundation. and It's really where it all begins because if you don't have that loving connection with your child, if you haven't created a safe environment, then there's no connection from which to make boundaries. And so, you know, a lot of times parents can get compliance by using strong discipline but um, but the the attachment bond, the connection between parent and child is the most important. So even if you get short-term good results, you lose in the end. So at the foundation of our book and our model is really cultivating this unconditional love with your child and letting them know that there's there's no there's no possible way that that can be disrupted. Yeah, beautifully said. And and one of the other points that you talk about is the need for space, I think, for taking it and granting it. Exactly. So so part of mindful discipline is is trying to demonstrate that at times it's important to create structure and boundary and rules, but in other times it's really important to allow the child to lead, to give them space to learn how to do things on their own. Um, so for example, sometimes when my son and I are hiking, I'll, I'll let him lead or we'll walk separate and apart. So I'm not always saying, Oh, look at this or do this or go this way that he, he builds some autonomy, you know, also with younger children, you know, you always see they're trying to tie their shoe and then the parent comes over and like just does it for them. And so there's something about the struggle and the, the faith in your child that they're going to figure it out and the patience to give them the space to do so. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. And n- next uh, of the essential elements is the concept of mentorship. And we often don't think of ourselves as mentors being parents, but yet we are. We're the primary teacher. I mean, this is where it starts. Exactly, exactly. So children need mentorship and healthy boundaries. And basically mentorship just provides the modeling and the direct building of skills um, that that we can offer our children. Um, it, I think a lot of times parents think that in order to preserve this kind of loving connection that we can't use strong limits and, and boundaries. But I actually believe that um, children need that to feel safe. And there's yeah. something that we call a loving hierarchy where 
it's actually appropriate to have a hierarchy in the family and for the parent or parents to be the leader, to be the protector, to be the person that keeps you safe. And, and so that, you know, that modeling and those boundaries are an essential part of parenting. You know, it's interesting. I have, I have two children. I have a daughter that is 19 and a son who is 17 next week, in fact. And, um, my son, I had the other day I had said, you know, will you take this box out to the garage and put it in the recycle bin? And he goes, sure, 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 mom. He yesed me. And then lo and behold, I walked into the, the garage and practically fell on my face over this box. <laughs> and I let out this howl, you know, this profane scream because I was so irritated <laughs> at him. And I just, I moved the box to where his car would normally reside. And I just sent him a text saying, the box is waiting for you when you get home. I love you. Okay. (laughs) And he knew exactly what I meant. You know, it was, and I have to laugh because normally I would have roared at him him, and I was really practicing being kind, showing an example, you know, like I'm going to be an adult about this and not gripe at him because, you know. Right. So I think the first thing we need to do as parents is self-soothe, self-regulate, get yes. ourselves back in balance, right? Kind of re- recalibrate the nervous system. You know, Dan Siegel, I love his his model of the brain where he says it's like a fist and the prefrontal cortex is, forms over, you know, the thumb and the amygdala brain. And he says when you flip your lid, you know, the prefrontal cortex gets disconnected. Yeah. and and then we're offline. not rational beings. We're like, we're <laughs> offline. We're like five-year-olds. And so. Savage. What, what, yeah. So what, and what mindfulness helps us do is reconnect, recalibrate, downregulate the nervous system and come back into a space of presence and clarity where we can speak intentionally because so often when we speak reactively, we cause harm. And one of my teachers said, you can never call your words home. And I've never mm. forgotten that, actually, because it's wow. so powerful. You can never call your words home. And so I think part of the practice for me as a parent, because I tend to be somewhat emotional and reactive, even though I'm a meditator, is um, is that pause, is just yeah. really coming back to what's my deepest intention? What is most important right now? Yeah. Um, if we have time, I'll actually give you a short example of that with my son. Please. Yeah. I would love to have an example. I shared my story with my son. It was, it was moderately successful. Now I want to hear, I want to hear professionals. Well, just, just about coming back to what your intention is and what's most important. So some years ago I was traveling in Europe for a few weeks for, I was away from my son for two weeks and it was the longest we had been apart. And when I came home, I was feeling a lot of guilt and a lot of worry that I'd ruined our bond. And, um, I made a very deep intention that I was going to spend that first day home completely with him, not unpack, not check email. And I planned this kind of perfect day at the beach for us. So as I'm preparing everything, getting the picnic, everything ready, I'm like, Jackson, you ready to go to the beach? And he's like, no, I don't really feel like going to the beach. I'm like, what? (laughs) We're we're going to the beach. I'm going to show you what an amazing mom I am, right? (laughs) He's like, oh, fine. So he gets on his swimsuit and we're going outside. I've packed up the car and he walks out the front door and he just sits down on the front porch. And... I'm already at the car ready to go. And I'm like, Jackson, come on. And he just sits there, doesn't even look up. And so I'm standing there and I notice impatience and frustration start to arise. And I kind of am on my agenda, right? Right. And then I remember, what's my intention? I just want him to know I'm home and I love him and I want to connect. You know, what's the most important thing? And so I walked over to him. I sat down. He was actually looking at these ants on our front porch 
and I sat next to him and there was this moment where I could feel the sun on our backs and I could feel his little body kind of leaning into mine. And that was it. That was the most important thing. Yeah, that was the moment, the golden moment. That was the moment. And yet we forget. We forget and we are, get reactive and we get impatient. And so part of mindfulness is just slowing us down and helping us remember this is what's most important. Yeah. Beautifully said. So we've got the unconditional love, space, mentorship, healthy boundaries, and then mistakes, the gifts yes. of imperfection, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and the we talk about mistakes as really seeing them as opportunities that maybe they could be beneficial and nourishing rather than simply being bad and wrong. You know, as parents, we often think that we're not doing it good enough. And by making mistakes part of parenting, we can learn from them and they can enhance our vulnerability, our authenticity, our connection to our children. Um, really, we see mistakes as the opportunity to be responsible and to try to um, own our imperfections, model that it's okay without shame, and, and then make things right and repair. So in this way, we model to our children, it's okay to mess up. We don't have to be perfect. We're still lovable. Yeah. You know, and this is a really, really good point, and one that I encounter practically every day, not just in, in my own personal life, but with clients and working with them, is that that fear of failure and, and perhaps reframing the relationship of what failure is, you know, which is really an opportunity to, you know, get up and, and do it again. And try try again. Some, yeah, yeah, try something differently. It's, that's all it is. I mean, that's what Ram Das. Um, he says, you fall off the path a thousand times. The trick is to get back on a thousand and one. Yeah, exactly. Right? We just over and over again. And, and what really prevents us from climbing back on is the shame because yes. we get stuck and lost in it and it saps our resources and our energy. Instead of focusing on what we want, we kind of, we, we spiral down to kind of the depression of what we didn't do. And shame, you know, is, is, you know, such a hot topic these days. And, and the idea of being in, in shame is that feeling as though that I am, I am bad. Not that I've done something bad or wrong, exactly. but that the, the essence, the core of me as a human being is unworthy of love, connection, belonging, and all of those things that are intrinsic to our, our well-being and our happiness. Exactly, exactly. And that's why for me, understanding mindfulness and really clarifying what it is that mindfulness is not just about paying attention. It's about paying attention with kindness and compassion yes. so that we start carving out these neural pathways of kindness and compassion that can help prevent the amount of shame and self-judgment that so many of us carry. We are almost out of time. And I wanted to just touch upon one more point with you, which I think may strike our listeners as a bit of a surprise and that how mindfulness leads to transformation because the state of mindfulness is one of being with what right. is in, in our presence but it's actually possesses the the is pregnant with potential to lead us across the threshold to to transcendence and transformation yeah i do believe that mindfulness is one of the most effective vehicles of transformation and it's interesting because it is a little paradoxical. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> by, by resting into the present moment, we're able to gather all of our resources and 
by doing that, we're able to see clearly what the next step is. That when we're trying so hard to see with our mind or our cognitive brain, we, we're, we're losing all the resources of the body, the intuition, the emotions, and, and we're also disconnecting ourselves from, from life. And so what mindfulness does is it allows us to connect deeply with everything, to sense our interconnectedness, and then to move from there, from a place of our whole being. And I do believe that's what leads to transformation. I agree. Dr. Shauna Shapiro, thank you for being with us once again. Dr. Shapiro's book is Mindful Discipline, A Loving Approach to Setting Limits and Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. To learn more, please visit drshaunashapiro.org. And on Facebook, you can find Dr. Shapiro at Mindful Discipline Book. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, and thank you to my wonderful guests today, Dr. Shauna Shapiro and Dr. Michelle Borba, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Hi everyone, this is Anna Lynn Thomas, founder of the funny website for women, Hahas for Hoo-Hahs, and host of the Hahas for Hoo-Hahs podcast. It's a podcast about funny women sharing their funny stories at their own expense, and maybe at the expense of their husbands, whatever. To follow us, go to blogtalkradio.com slash hahas for hoo-hahs podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hahas for hoo-hahs for updates and chances to participate in the show. We're looking forward to hanging out with you soon. Bye. Getting lost in the music is great, except if you're driving. Nissan's available Intelligent Safety Shield technologies could help you avoid bad drivers. Hurry into your local Nissan store and get great offers during the Safety Today event. Or shop ChooseNissan.com today. Now, back to the music.